Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. And this Friday, we have on the show for you two guests. The main Red Claws, the Celtics D-League affiliate, kicks off their season tonight. That's right, 11-11-2016, and we're going to have the voice of the main Red Claws, Chris Sedenka, joining us very shortly. He's also the host of the PM Jab on the Big Jab out of Portland, Maine. Then also another treat, we talked to him during the off-season interview series, but our very own CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss from the Garden Report and Celtics blog, and he's going to be checking in to talk with us about the Celtics' recent woes against what I would consider to be inferior opponents. We talked about it on the post-game show immediately after the loss to the Wizards on the road. That was two losses in a row. Obviously, the Sunday loss to the Denver Nuggets still stinging as well. The team struggling to find heart, criticizing themselves. The mojo is just not there. So we'll we'll talk to Jared Weiss. We did, thankfully, get to see the return of Kelly Olynyk in that game. That's uh, That was at least refreshing to see. We're going to get into all of that. So quite a nice lineup. I'm not going to wind up taking a whole lot of time with an intro. Just let you know that Celtic Stuff Live can be followed on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me as well at CSL underscore Justin, my co-host at CSL underscore Duke and the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. As I mentioned, Jared Weiss with the Garden Report. You'll find him on the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio and interact with all the hosts of all all the shows across the entire network by going to facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans. We're going to get right into the interview. It's brought to you by Movement Watches and while department store watches started four to five hundred bucks, the good folks over at Movement Watches have taken the middleman out and are passing that savings directly on to you. Movement Watches are slick, fashionable, and most importantly, affordable. I got the Chrono White Black with tan leather strap. Starting at just $95 is an excellent price point for a very stylish watch. But 
I'll do you one better. We're going to give you 15% off your first order and free shipping if you go to mvmtwatches.com forward slash Celtics beat. That's right. 15% off your first order, free shipping. Go to mvmtwatches.com forward slash Celtics beat. And now we're going to kick it all off with Chris Sedanka of the PM Jab and the voice of the main Red Claws. Chris Sedanka, how are you, my man? Welcome welcome to your first appearance on Celtics Stuff Live. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. And I am very much looking forward to the Red Claw season, which kicks off tomorrow night. Or actually, whenever this when this is recording, it kicks off tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah, it kicks off tonight, but that's okay. Yeah, and against the Oklahoma City Blue on the road, they don't play a home game till a week later, correct? And in that matchup, will be against the Long Island Nets. Yes, and that is actually the first time we'll ever see the Long Island Nets. They're an expansion team, a new franchise, and that's really been the theme of the D League. Our new teams, we've seen quite a few of them over the years, and. Uh, it's it's funny because I I still look at Maine as one of the young franchises of the league, but we're getting ready for season eight. It really is crazy. I remember when I still lived in Maine, so that's how long it's been. I now yeah. am in Pennsylvania, but I lived in Maine when the inaugural season came up. I remember when John Jennings began to was coming to town and trying to get momentum behind it. They didn't even have a name picked out yet, and. It really doesn't seem like that long ago, but it is. And I'm not surprised about the expansion. Just look at what the Celtics have done with the relationship uh, by having their own D-League affiliate. It's it's a real big development factor, and I think it's something that the NBA needed for a long time. I know we've always sort of looked at college basketball that way, but there's a lot of players that have been able to come out of the D-League and have some success post-collegiate career. No question about it, and you're you're right. We've been very lucky uh, that to have such a, a unique uh, affiliate, obviously with the Boston Celtics. And, and granted, the region works because this is the hometown team, and and you know most of the fans who go to the expo and and go watch the main Red Claws are Celtics fans, so that's an easy connection. But also, the Celtics bought into it. The Celtics understood how important it was, and it was really about gear year four when they uh, started the, the one-on-one partnership with, with the Red Claws where we really started to see it pay off even more. Now, granted, first year, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They, they brought, I mean, remember Bill Walker now, Henry Walker was one of the first players there, and we got a chance to see J.R. Giddens too, and so many over the years. But really the last few years is where, and especially I think Brad Stevens is a big proponent of it, uh, we uh, we've also seen so many development coaches come through, you know, player development coaches. So they're very comfortable sending down a Jordan Mickey. They're very comfortable sending down um, last year uh, quite a bit with with Rosier, and we've seen James Young over the last couple of years. So and we just got word that Demetrius uh, Jackson's going to be here, and he he's he's been he's been sent to Maine. So he'll he'll start the year. Uh, with the red, well, the red claws will start with Demetrius Jackson here, and and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him here quite a bit, especially with what what's in front of him in Boston. So, the Celtics get it, and I think you're starting to see a lot of teams in the NBA get it too. Uh, and I believe probably within five or six years, uh, you know, you'll have that true one to one relationship as we're we're getting closer every single year. 
Yeah, I would love, I know they're negotiating and finalizing the new NBA collective bargaining agreement, but hopefully as, once there is a one-to-one relationship where there's literally one team in the D-League to match up with every team in the NBA, that will be uh, fantastic. And, and I think one of the things that happens without the D-League or is happening without the D-League is a lot of these players, uh, and there's many of examples of it, not just in draft and stash, but there are players that are leaving the NBA because, quite frankly, they can make more money overseas but an interesting player on this roster this year did not choose to do that and actually I think is the Celtics first sort of domestic draft and stash in Abdul Nader who will be on this squad and and was picked in the second round by Boston and but but signed a D-League contract which still is very much puts him in the same um, the same category as two other draft picks that are playing overseas in Zizic and Yabuseli. But instead, we get to we get to watch Nader play some ball. He actually was pretty impressive. Had some nice moments in summer league. Yeah, and you know he's a he's a kid that I actually saw play a lot in the Big Twelve last year at Iowa State. He's a tremendous shooter for a big man and. Yeah, real nice kid. I had a chance to interview him last week, and I think he's a kid that the Celtics like a lot. I think the Celtics were very happy that he ended up staying uh, over here because you're right. I mean, it's so easy to to go overseas and be a, a, a draft and stash guy, and and you know find your way and find your footing, um, and maybe and find more money. I mean, that, that's that's the one thing about the deal. You're not going to make a lot of money, as we know, but you are right here. I mean, you are getting the best exposure imaginable, uh, not only from a Celtic standpoint, but let's say, you know, for example, let's say the Portland Trailblazers, uh, you know, really like them. You know, the Trailblazers are calling up the Boston Celtics, and maybe they're talking about draft rights trades or something like that. You know, you never know. And so I think you're seeing guys try to stay over, at least for the first couple of years of their career, stay over in the D-League because of the exposure factor. Uh, and, you know, the Celtics had a player similar to that in Marcus Thornton last year who – didn't start with the Red Claws. He was he was drafted and then immediately went over. If I remember correctly, I think it was Australia. It was Australia. Yep, you're yeah. correct. And then came over for about the final month in the playoffs for the Red Claws. Uh, but that was about it. And I, you know, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, you know, I think he's someone they obviously want to get stronger, get better on the glass, a little uh, better defensively. But I mean, he's someone I think has an opportunity here to uh, to play quite a quite a while. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I think one of the ways that the Celtics have taken advantage of the league is just this plethora of guards that they have, whether you, whether you want to call them point guards or combo guards or whatnot. But Rozier, you mentioned already. But now you're going to see Demetrius Jackson this season. And they just have so many guards in this roster. It's almost kind of funny. I think you're going to love watching Jackson play night in and night out as the voice of the Red Claws because – I actually think during this recent set of struggles, the Celtics three and four on the season as we speak now, and I thought Demetrius Jackson actually had had some of the stronger performances of the bench, and they've had to go deep to guys like Jordan Mickey and Terry Rozier that were lighting up the D-League last year. Yeah, um, and I'm not surprised just because, you know, of an opportunity to get more minutes, but you're right. I, I'm, I'm very excited to see him play, and We've been very lucky, and you're talking about a group of, of guards that we have seen here. Avery Bradley played for Maine. Um, Phil Pressey before, obviously, you're not, not with the Celtics anymore, but Phil Pressey spent quite a bit of time in Maine. Uh, you know, R.J. Hunter before he was let go. We, we saw him quite a bit last year uh, with along with Terry Rozier. Uh, 
uh, Marcus Smart, and we saw Marcus Smart a few times in Maine. You know, the Celtics are, you know, they're 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 willing. And the nice thing is, it's an hour and forty five minutes away. So if the Celtics are playing on a Sunday, let's say the Celtics are playing on a Friday and a Sunday, and we have a Saturday game in Maine, you know, they're going to send guys up. Uh, even though, you know, they'll be sent right back down or they'll drive right back down to Boston that night. They're going to send guys up to get minutes. I mean, and that's what this league is, is built for now. And, and Demetrius Jackson, it, well, well, I mean, what's better to be the, the 15th man on a bench who's never getting any minutes exactly. or in, not even dressing every single game or, you know, coming down to, to Portland and, and getting, you know, uh, 30 to 40 minutes you know, and, and getting valuable experience against a lot of guys who are going to end up making it to the NBA. Yeah, how in the event of injury or trade do you stay ready for all of a sudden having your number called? <laughs> and two players, yeah. James Young and Jordan Mickey, both wound up seeing a little bit of time under those circumstances last year. Not so much James Young, but definitely Jordan Mickey, who I think was setting like some kind of a record for blocks with the Red Claws during his time. Yes, he was. And what's funny yeah. is both of those players lit up the league. They, James Young in the Red Claws uniform versus James Young in the Celtics uniform was like night and day up until training camp. And honestly, Justin, they should light up the league. I mean, they, there, there is a, there is a difference between, uh, you know, the D league and the NBA. There's no doubt about that. I mean, and, and not everyone in the D league is, is cut out for the NBA. And most of the guys who are, are role players. You know, most of these guys are not, you know, not everyone's Tim Frazier who was kind of just missed by everyone uh, and, and got some opportunities and improved more than I've ever seen anyone improve uh, in the D league. And, and so, and now you're seeing him obviously with the Pelicans or, or a player like Gerald green who got an opportunity in the NBA and, and it, you know, it didn't go swimmingly the first time around and, you know, kind of, perfects his game and Henry Walker did the same thing perfected his game and got and they got more opportunities but you know Jordan Mickey should come down and dominate James Young should come down and dominate Terry Rozier should come down and dominate because if those guys want to make it they have to show that they they can be the man if 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 need be and and uh, I'm really high on Jordan Mickey I thought that kid was very hard he has a great attitude you know James Young uh, great kid and that's the thing that's the thing about James he's still young he's a kid still was he 21 so, I mean, you're talking about someone who's entering his third year and, and you'd like to see him finally get it this year. But at the same time, you know, he's still young and there's a reason why the Celtics are going to give him every opportunity. Yeah, he almost look he mirrors Gerald Green in a way. It's funny you brought up both of those names, but, you know, Gerald great kid but did he have the work ethic and the discipline and that's kind of what we saw as the knock on on James Young but it seems like he got it the Celtics didn't pick up his option for next year so we'll see how that all goes down and plays out at the end of the season and I'm sure you know if there's a trade you never know what's going to happen because guys get opportunity but I love the Tim Frazier story I mean here's an undersized awesome. and lightweight point guard who was older coming out in the draft uh, from Penn State which isn't exactly a powerhouse for basketball and now he's starting forget the fact that they're 0 and 8 he's in the game getting 30 plus minutes a night yep yeah and then that's it I mean, you gotta you gotta forget the record because that's just i mean that that team's just not deep as we know and and they're gonna struggle and they're gonna have their issues but i mean you know what i love most about tim is that he was here um so he was here in 2014 for the majority of the year and he got some opportunities 
you know, late and ended up, you know, catching on with, with Portland and started last year with Portland. And then he was let go after the, uh, after the trade deadline, when, when Portland made all those deals and everyone thought that he would get an opportunity, but he, he was let go. And so he comes back to Maine and he was pissed. He was, he was outright pissed that he wasn't in the NBA anymore. And the attitude was perfect for him because he just went out there and he left it all on the floor and he came back and nearly averaged a triple a triple double. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. He 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 worked on his shot. He worked on you know limiting turnovers. He worked on free throw shooting. And you know a couple of weeks later, where is he? He's in he's in New Orleans. And where is he still? He's still in New Orleans. And how and, fun is that you when know, you're doing your job? That's a success story. Yeah, how much fun is that when you're doing your job where you see that? And I mean, it just it's a game changer. For, I mean, I know you're a pro and I get it. You bring the same, sure. the same every night, but it does sure. change your perspective on the game because it's fun. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, we, we had a player a couple of years ago who's, who's actually been very successful overseas in Israel. Uh, his name was Kenny Hayes, a uh, great, great point guard. And I remember, you know, we had him for a couple of years. Year one, there were times where we thought he was going to be cut. You know, he, there were games where he wouldn't dress. He'd be inactive or he'd be on the end of the bench and he wouldn't get any minutes. Following year, he broke the franchise record in single game scoring and, <laughs> you know, ended up, you know, and he turned that into, I think this is, I think he's still in Israel. I, I could be wrong, but he, I mean, he's been overseas for, you know, five or six years now and making great money and, and playing and playing really well. And another great kid. And, and you see, if you get your opportunity and you, and you care and you want it, you're, you, this league gives you that chance. So it's, it's, it's so much, Justin, about attitude. It's so much about work ethic. And, you know, a league like this is going to weed you out real quick. Such is life, though, right? I mean, it's always about yeah, attitude absolutely. and work ethic, <laughs> especially if you're from Maine. I mean, that's just the way it is if you're that's from right. Maine. That's right. That's our life, man. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we got. What else are you going to do? I mean, if you can't get up and shovel the driveway, man, you're not going to make it. <laughs> Right, you screwed. <laughs> so, listen, I, one of the curious players that I really had hoped to see on this team was Ben Bentel. They signed him to like a $250,000 training camp invite, and then all of a sudden, towards the end, it doesn't work out. And I know he's still in the D League. I think he's with the Mad Ants, maybe. Um, but that was kind of curious, but you gotta clear something up for me, because I looked at the roster, and right before I'll, training camp... <laughs> yeah, well, right, exactly. And maybe maybe this is a to-be-continued. But Ryan Kelly was signed and then released, and I think they did that so they could use him. And we're going to maybe we can talk a little bit about the affiliate rules, but I'm pretty sure that Ben was going in a different direction. That's however that went down. That's really been not – it's been a non-story. It's not been reported. So we don't really know what right. happened there. But then Ryan Kelly gets signed and released all at the same time, which makes him, I believe, eligible as an affiliate player. But do you do we know if he's going to be on the roster tonight in the first game? Is is he on this? Is he going to be joining the Red Claws this season? Are we talking about Ryan Kelly? Yeah, Ryan Kelly from Duke. So I believe Ryan Kelly, the last team Ryan Kelly was on, I believe Atlanta someone Cox. picked him up after the Celtics let him go. Oh, okay. I want to say Atlanta. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Ryan Kelly was uh, – essentially he was going to be released and he was going to be an affiliate player. And essentially how that works, and and, uh, and I'll, I'll try to explain this the best way I can, and, 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 you know, I hope that most of it's right. So I'll take an example like uh, Marcus George's hunt. So Marcus George's hunt was in camp with the Boston Celtics. 
and he ends up getting cut in camp. Uh, and so instead of going into the available player pool for the D League, after he, after he clears waivers, he becomes what's called an affiliate player. So the Celtics can send these players who, you know, uh, essentially – actually, the Celtics don't send them, but the Red Claws can sign these players, and they're called affiliate players. And so the Red Claws have their first rights because they were part of the Boston Celtics. So since uh, they so were part of the first Boston rights Celtics, rule. Yes. And they were released that the Red Claws have the first rights to get that player. And so I believe, uh, and, and maybe I'll try to look it up here, but I think Ryan Kelly was, when he was released by the Seas, uh, the plan was that he was going to be an affiliate player for the main Red Claws, but I believe he was, uh, claimed by another team and then released. <laughs> so that becomes, uh, that the affiliate player was switched over. Got it. All right, I'm going to save the I best for last. That, I believe that's how that goes. And and I'm not even 100% clear, and it's probably going to change again once yes, they get was, ink on the, the – ex- right. It was the Atlanta Hawks, so he is – I believe he might – he's either – he's either Ryan Kelly's either still a member of the Atlanta Hawks, and he was just simply sent down like a regular assignment, or he was released and he became a uh, became an affiliate player. But he, he is uh, – he was part – he was claimed after the Red Claws uh, – uh, or excuse me, after the Celtics. After the Celtics. That's funny because he started there, then the Celtics, and then it sounds like he's back there. And the Hawks, I believe, do yeah. not have a direct one-to-one affiliate. I think they have a shared affiliate, which is funny too. But um, That's correct, yes. And they actually just announced yeah, – I don't know if they announced it or the news came out yesterday that they are planning to have a team uh, in, I think it's the uh, Atlanta suburbs, starting in 2019. So they're they're ready to roll. Oh, that's good. See, this is, this is what needs yep. to happen just to, to fully develop that. And I believe the fans are going to come out. And I think one of the nice things about having you on this show is, you know, like you mentioned, only an hour and 45 minute drive. And if there's any Celtics fans that are a bit closer to home in Maine or New Hampshire, it's right in their backyard. But there are definitely players that you're going to be able to go watch that are exciting. I know you call him Henry, but I will never stop calling him Bill Walker. He was a huge, I was a huge fan of his. Um, um, I would have I would have loved it if he had, had stuck with the Celtics. I know he got some some decent run with the New York Knicks, but I'm going to save the coach for last because I think he's the best story, and and we got to get sure. into that. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about the history of the Expo, where the Red Claws play as well, because I know you said you know there's a couple of couple of things there. So you know, give everybody kind of an idea if they've never been to a Red Claws game before, what can they expect from the environment in the Expo? Well. The Portland Expo, and it's funny because uh, my co-host and I, his name is Rick Simons. He's a he he does the color for our broadcast. He's been a he was a coach for years and years and years at at the Division Three level in Maine, and so you know he has he has such a love for the Portland Expo, and we like to call it the world famous Portland Expo, and it's become like a kind of a running joke, but it's also it's also very meaningful because. We're talking about a, a building that, you know, on the outside, it looks like just a regular old boring building. <laughs> and then you walk in and your first thought is, all right, well, it's a, it's a high school gymnasium. And that's exactly what it is. But what it is is a hundred year old plus, you know, building that the only other building that I've multipurpose building that I believe is still in use that's older is Matthews Arena, where Northeastern plays. So, I mean, you're talking about a very, very famous old building where there were boxing matches, there are, you know, indoor track championships, tons of basketball over the years, uh, and they have taken it and, re, uh, you know, eight years ago, they redid it where 
instead of it just being a high school gym now, you have that feeling of it being a professional team's home. So you have all the signs up now and there's suites, you know, suite boxes and, and courtside seating. And last year they put in uh, brand new seating. So there's stadium seating in some spots now. And so you have this high school feel, you have this kind of like, you know, like the, like a mini Allen Fieldhouse feel to it. So the fans are right on top of the court. It's about 2,500, 2,800 fans a game. And it gets loud in there. And that's the beauty uh, about the D-League is that, you know, it's not like it's not like AAA baseball where you're trying to get about 10,000 fans there. It's not like AHL where you're trying to get 8,000 fans. You know, that market size is really about 2,500 to 3,000 people because they want it packed and they want it loud. And, and so, you know, to have a building that's like just a perfectly unique size to this league it's just such a match made in heaven. And it's so fun talking to, to players from the other team or players for this team. You know, one of those players actually who's on the team this year, Dallas Lauderdale is his name, a big center. He was, uh, he played against the Red Claws a couple of years ago, uh, I think for Reno. Uh, and he, you know, I was talking to him the other day and I was like, well, you know, what's it like? And he's like, well, I mean, this place has a reputation throughout the league. People know, you know, teams know about it. Other players know about it, that, this is one of the best home court advantages in the entire league. And so when a, when a Boston Celtic comes down, when you have a Terry Rozier, when you have a, you know, a Jordan Mickey, they're, they're going to get the treatment they deserve. And, and it's wonderful. Dude, that is awesome because that's what you get. Even if the team stinks in Boston, it's, I, I think people, I know Indiana's like the home of basketball and rich steeped in, in basketball tradition and history, but New England doesn't get its due because people come out for the Celtics even when they're bad. And the fact that this D league has a reputation in Maine as one of the loudest, you know, uh, venues for D league basketball, that's, that's just incredible. That's a great thing to hear. No, there's no doubt. And I a hundred percent agree. And like you spent, you know, you've been in Maine, you know, Maine, you, you know, you live here for, for a while. And, and so, I mean, you're talking about a basketball starved uh, state. I mean, the, the high school basketball championships in the state are some of the biggest things you're going to see in sports. I mean, it gets absolutely crazy for two weeks. I mean, you know, there are people that, you know, it gets, you know, the city get some of these cities get shut down for a few days because so many people are going to these games and people traveling from Northern Maine all the way down to Bangor or Augusta and traveling, you know, 5,000, 6,000 strong. Sometimes it gets pretty wild. And so, you know, it really fits, it really fits the, the, uh, the mold. And, and I a hundred percent agree. I think new England is a, it really is a basketball hotbed that, that is, is one of the quieter, you know, stories when it comes to it. Cause no one really talks about it. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, nobody listening is going to care about this, but just because you know, uh, Maine high school basketball, I, this is how much we're into it. I'm living in Pennsylvania now, and when the tournament starts, I get on MPBN's website, and I've got to watch my alma mater, which is the Hamden Broncos, and I went to school with Russ Bartlett. He was a couple of years younger than me. We were on the golf team together, but he basically created, I mean, he could, if he if he sticks it out and continues to have that kind of success, he could be a mainstay basketball Hall of Famer. Sure, absolutely, and and not only that. I mean, look at this. I mean, Steve Clifford, Maine guy. Brett Brown, Maine guy. I mean, these are these are prominent NBA coaches with with Maine roots. And uh, Josh Longstaff, who was a, a great uh, Portland high school basketball player, is an assistant coach for the New York Knicks. And so. You know, a lot of people never think of Maine when you when you think of professional sports or, or really just anything other than freaking lobster. <laughs> but we got a lot going on, especially basketball. I mean, this is a, 
this is a basketball rich state. There's no doubt about it. And people love their red clubs. All right, so let's close it out on Scott Morrison because as much as I love sure. the Tim Frazier story, the Scott Morrison story is equally as cool. I mean, I know he was a head coach at Lakehead in Ontario, but then he comes down to the Red Claws and basically volunteers a year of his time to coach on the staff, goes on, gets the head coaching gig, and in 2014-2015 wins Coach of the Year in the D-League his first year as a head coach. You hit it right on the head. It's been an incredible story, and, and he did. I mean, he came on to Mike Taylor's staff, you know, a couple of years ago in Mike's final year, and, you know, Scott came in and was, and was uh, like you said, he was that he was an assistant, uh, you know, a, a, essentially a volunteer assistant, but he was in player development. And one thing the Boston Celtics, you know, absolutely love is, is player development. I mean, and you see it all the time, and the Celtics will bring up, you know, they'll bring, the Celtics will have some of their scouts and their play – player development staff and you know they'll bring up you know strength and conditioning coaches when they can it's amazing how much time and effort they put into this team because they care and they understand how important and how valuable it can be and so scott you know is here and then all of a sudden you know mike taylor's gone and and you know they're giving the job to this guy that you know never never coached in america pretty much (laughs) you know we, we knew him a little bit obviously from from his time and Rick actually did a, ran a camp with him before. So he had met him uh, up in Canada and uh, just, it, it couldn't, it couldn't have gone much better. And that's the thing that the Celtics really like about him is even still as a head coach, he's so much into player development and watching guys improve. And I think you look at what Tim Frazier was, has been able to do and, and the work he's put in with a lot of the, uh, the, the Boston, a lot of the Boston Celtics players too, it really shows. And there's another guy last year uh, by the name of Cody Clark, who uh, joined the Celtics right at the end of last year. Remember, he gave, he got a couple 10 day contracts uh, and, you know, he got an opportunity and Cody went overseas this year to play. I mean, his, his improvement over the year, I'd never seen anything like it. Cody, who, you know, we kind of put as an afterthought at the beginning of the year was arguably an MVP candidate in the D league by the end of the season. It was unbelievable to see. And I think a lot of that has to do with Scott Morrison and, uh, he'll be somewhere else next year. There's no doubt about it. There's no way this guy's going to be in the D League for another year after this one. He'll be, he'll be moving on up. No question. Yeah, you know what? So many stories, and it's all going to kick off tonight. That's right. The D League season begins. Chris Sedenka, voice of the Maine Red Claws, host of the PM Jab on the Big Jab in Portland, Maine. You can find it on your dial ninety six point three. Chris, thanks a lot for coming on. Awesome first appearance. I think we're going to be checking in with you throughout the season to see how some of these players are going and let Celtics fans kind of keep their pulse on some of the younger players that I know are going to be on this roster in the future. Well, absolutely my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Love talking Red Claws basketball. And, uh, yeah, whenever you need me, you know where to find me. I'd love to help out as much as possible, guys. Thank you so much. All right, awesome. And we're going to be right back with Jared Weiss from CLNS Radio's The Garden Report after a quick word from our sponsor, Audible.com. Jared Weiss, our very own host of the Garden Report here on CLNS Radio and also a writer for Celtics blog. Jared, I think, I know we did the off-season interview series, but this is your first appearance of the season and I wish that we had a little bit better record and a whole lot less injuries, maybe a lot less offensive rebounds to talk about as well. But the Celtics three and four, they're back at it tonight. And welcome to the show, my brother. I guess we're going to get into the weeds a little bit today. 
it's a good time to be here because I love it when things are going wrong because figuring out how to fix them is probably the most entertaining thing you get to do in this industry. This is also the part where your basketball IQ clearly overshadows mine, which is precisely <laughs> why I'm bringing you on the show. It's very well-timed. But the first thing I have to say, before we get into all of the basketball, I know there's been some changes on the Garden Report, and you guys are standing on the parquet now. I love it. But the other change is you got a pretty nice suit going on. You've got the the Indochino rocking, which uh, is not only a new sponsor, but a really high-quality suit that you're rocking. Yeah, actually, well, I haven't gotten the Indochino suit yet. I just ordered it, so it should be – I think it it takes about three to four weeks for it to come in, so I can't wait. It's going to be – like getting to choose your own suit, everything down to like the color of the felt underneath the lapel – the buttonhole colors, all that little stuff. Um, there's something called a ticket pocket, which is like another smaller pocket on the left side above the side pocket. And I've never been able to find a suit that fits me with my beautiful portly body or my dad bod, as Leo DiCaprio would dad call bod. It. But yeah, uh, yeah, my young dad bod. But uh, so getting to have a ticket pocket, I'm actually pretty excited about that. And if you know me, you know that I absolutely love suits and all fashion and sartorial wear and all that stuff. And I'm probably going to do some more stuff on fashion uh, later this season with the Celtics because there actually are some pretty interesting fashion guys. Jalen Brown is your man. Oh my God. Yeah. No, we've already talked about that stuff. So he'll, uh, I'll have to do something with him uh, later in the year, but uh, with the end of yeah, don't suits, do it at a mall. I hate yeah. to cut you off, but don't, don't do <laughs> it was, at a mall. I was on my way to that. I had a friend that was there. Um, I was on my way to that. And then I saw Jalen's tweet and I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and, that, and I go to, I go to the Galleria all the time. That's like, cause I live, uh, that's like the closest mall to me. So I go there all the time and it's usually pretty busy, but to see it like that was just unbelievable. It was really sad to hear what happened because apparently the, it sounds like fr- from, uh, the corroboration I've heard from my friends that were there that the police just overreacted to kids being rowdy and they started pepper spraying and then that's caused a stampede and that was really dangerous and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be critical of what happened because I, I wasn't there obviously and didn't see it, but it does sound like it was a bit excessive and that's what caused the dangerous situation. So it's sad to see that happening in Boston because usually Boston has been somewhat uh, immune and shielded from a lot of the atrocities that have been happening around the country. So I hope that, especially with, uh, we won't get into politics. I know you said that before. We I was just going to say, I was like, it's, I'm it's so, impo- I'm so politically for- fatigued. It's, it, but it's, it's woven. I mean, it's something that every single person in the country is thinking about right now. So we'll, well, I can't, I'm tired of it too. So I'm going to, I want to try to we'll steer clear, but it is, I, but I will say this, you are 100% correct. It's on everybody's mind. The political climate has everybody on their toes and, and on edge. It's a definitely, it's an interesting time to be living in the United States. I feel like I look back to my days in college, you know, the, uh, the Clinton years, and that was probably the calmest time politically, you know, because coming right out of that was 9-11, and then, you know, obviously the economy tanked after that, and then, um, you know, Obama made history, but all we, I think during Obama's tenure is when we really started to have what I am now basically saying is, is two parties that are just totally squaring off. All I want, I want to have, the next time we go through this, I want to hear talk about collaboration, and that's it. I only want to put true collaborators and people that can listen into office. That's that's my only thing. That's and I'll stop right there because we got to talk Celtics basketball. 
All right, let's go for it. I mean, the Celtics already have their own problems they have to solve, so we can forget about the country. Well, they need to collaborate on defense and boxing yes. out. Oh yes, I mean, those. Which one do you want to start with? Because we can we can go let's, off on either one. Let's let's start with the boxing out because I think it ties in. We'll get into positioning, and that'll tie right into the defense nicely. But the fact that uh, I'm blanking was it Otto Porter that got the rebound yep. off the floor? Like that's yep. th- that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Actually, the one the one that I really that really blew me away, and I'm rewatching the film from uh, from the game right now. And I think Chris Forsberg uh, wrote a really good piece that I think opened with this play in the lead, although it might have been that one too. But there's a play where all five Celtics players are in the paint. And, so, okay, so this is how a good team rebounding works. You have two guys who are designated for boxing out. And their whole point is to use their booty to search for the, the nearest person and just throw it into them. And then you have usually two wing, you either have two, one or two wings that are looking to swoop in there with the box outs and get the rebound. And then you're supposed to have another player that's either advancing towards uh, getting into transition or is paying attention to something that's happening on the perimeter. Like, for instance, Otto Porter streaking in from behind the three-point line. So there were a couple examples, but there was one particularly in the middle or early third quarter where all five players on the Celtics were standing in the paint, which is like – that means they're basically like holding hands – and they all were in the same position where they all were kind of in like a half box out position with their butts a little bit out, their knees a little bit flexed, and they were all just staring up at the ball. And if you have no awareness, play, I remember yeah, that play. You have no, you have no rebounding awareness. You you don't have. It, it seems like they don't have their kind of like their, their units because you know they're still mixing up units. They're still figuring out what units work. It seems like one of the things that I, at least I'm seeing from the outside, and I haven't had a chance to ask about this yet because uh, I haven't been to a game in like a week and a half. But it seems like their assignments for boxing out responsibility and and uh, uh, shooting in responsibility, crashing responsibility haven't really been figured out yet for all the units and all the different lineups that they're using. And especially a big part of that is because of injury. They've had to throw out different units that they haven't really worked much uh, together so far. So right now there seems to be a lot of matchup and responsibility confusion and it's killing them. And they don't, they're not playing with the intensity that we can get into actually saying what that actually means instead of using it as a cliche talking point. Um, but they're not playing with the level of intensity and aggression and forethought that would make up for it. Yeah, and Brad's already called him out for that uh, after the Denver game when he said that's a that's one I had sort of circled because he goes, this is the nicest way I can say it, but we're more of a finesse team, and they played with more aggression. So they already heard that in the previous loss. The other thing I'm seeing from the fans, a lot of conversation about maybe what this team is missing is Jared Sullinger and Evan Turner. And I, 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 maybe yes, maybe no. At the end of the day, if you got five guys in the paint and there's no awareness, Jared Sullinger could have been just as much a victim of the chemistry issue that was going on in that scene as anybody else. Now, when it comes to boxing out, he definitely has the body for that. And when it comes to rebounding, that was something that we knew this team was going to miss. And we thought Al Horford's addition, maybe he was an underrated rebounder in the way that he was used in Atlanta, that those numbers would come up in Boston. But he can't even get through concussion protocol right now. So they're definitely missing him, which begs the question of depth. But then there's Kelly Olynyk, and we'll get to all of that. But, but start first 
with Jared Sullinger and Evan Turner? Because I feel like Evan Turner was the guy that sparked the offense, and and really offense isn't the issue. Leading into that game against the Wizards, they had the highest field goal percentage, I believe, in the NBA, but the defense was atrocious. All right, so even tying back to even before what you were saying with uh, with the way that they played against Denver – and I agreed with, uh, I think Stevens kind of like hinted towards it before that game. Um, but he recognized that. And so something that I can't remember if it was you asked me this earlier in the offseason or where I was asked this question, but it was what is like the, the, the weakness for the Celtics where they could get beat. And I pointed to what the Thunder did last year against the Warriors, where when the Celtics are going up against two very capable, powerful bigs in lineups, they're going to have a hard time because they usually are going to have someone that's going to get overpowered. In Denver, they're looking at the rest of the league and they're saying to all the teams that are going to run around us, that's fine, but we're going to put two seven footers out there uh, in almost all of our lineups and all those guys, and they can do pretty much everything. So with Nurkic and Jokic out there, to get, out there together, they're basically throwing the ball over the little guys on the Celtics. They're killing them on the glass, and that's their main vulnerability. Is when the Celtics are. All, who are already a mediocre offensive rebounding team, although their guards tend to make up for it. Uh, but when they have guys that the guards can't make up for it over, then they are kind of screwed a lot of the time. And they have to be really hitting their shots. And so that wasn't happening. That's, I mean, really for the Denver and Washington games, they just came out completely dead in both of them. So they just basically fell into a hole and tried to climb out. And they aren't playing well enough to climb out of it. Even if Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley are probably playing at, or probably both all stars, maybe even all star starters, based on what they're doing so far this season. Um, yeah. But- oh, well, so do you think Evan, let's say they have Evan Turner, Jared. No, let's do it differently. If you had to bring one of them back to help the Celtics with what their problems are right now on the court with what you see, would you Soldier. bring back Jared Soldier. or would you bring back Evan? Okay, well, we're not bringing either of them back because don't forget Horford and Crowder aren't playing, and those are the guys doing what there's what they would be doing. But uh, based on this, just just the issue right now, um, I, I would say Solinger. Uh, but I mean, I wouldn't. They wouldn't want to do, bring either of those guys back. But I mean, here's the difference from what last year's team was doing to this year's team. So with those guys. Solinger, the one thing that he's always done really well is boxing out. And that, that it's really right now their issue is just boxing out and rebounding assignments. But Solinger was so good at clearing guys out and leaving room for Smart and Turner, who's one of the best rebounding wings in the league. He, he just always is able to carve out room for those guys to fly in for the rebound. So they were pretty solid rebounding the ball with those guys out there. Um, they're missing that right now. Uh, having Tyler Zeller in there for a lot of minutes is really hurting them on rebounding and in a lot of ways defensively also. Uh, although the funny thing is I think offensively Zeller is really similar to the way that they use him as Al Horford. I mean, they, they're able to kind of run a lot of the same pick and roll type of actions with Zeller that they do with Horford. Just Horford does it a lot better and he can kind of score for himself and create for himself better. Um, but we saw like with when they had lineups with Zeller and Olenek out there and Amir out there, those guys just were getting tossed around. They just they weren't they weren't the ones initiating the contact. And that's when you're getting killed is you have to be the one that's first to attack. That's first to make uh, contact because that's when you have the advantage because it's like it's like kind of like why Joakim Noah has always been so effective, even though he's so skinny. Noah plays with Noah hits you like. It doesn't matter how strong you are. If someone's moving into you, they're coming at you with more force than if you're just standing still and leaning into somebody with your muscles. It's all about 
impact, it, of course, and you have to manage that without fouling, of course. But if you're coming at somebody with speed and impact intensity, you're going to be more effective in moving them out of the way than if you're just plotting there and trying to hold them off. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And Zeller's really struggling. I mean, on Monday's show, and it was a second consecutive show where John and I had lots of criticism for his play. And there's moments, right? There's moments when he scores. There's moments when he when he gets that rebound. That's crucial. But for the most part, it seems like and. This goes back to last season. He did not pair well with David Lee. Not that David Lee paired well with anybody based on when, once we got through about 20 games, we realized that. But at the time, it was Zeller and Lee that were starting, and they were getting the bulk of the minutes to begin the year, but they were not a good pairing. Do you think that Zeller and Johnson are equally poor a pairing that that Zeller it's not just Zeller it's how he's fitting in with his front court teammate as well yeah i guess cuz it was Zeller he's rolling and that's and he needs some space in the post or in the lane to be able to operate so if you don't have him out there next to Jarebko or Olenek or or just like you know someone that, if the four isn't a shooter then Zeller's kind of screwed I actually think Zeller has been pretty solid as a pick and roll player so far. I mean, when he pops, he's he's pretty he's pretty solid from twelve feet, and when he rolls, he can catch the ball and make some great plays. He had one where he he's had a few plays I think so far where he's a roll guy rolling down the middle of the lane. He catches the ball and then immediately throws it to the baseline weak side guy where there's like Olinick or I think Olinick was one of them where they had a great kind of little like one two pass kind of thing, and that was. That was good, and that's what Zeller does well. I mean, Zeller, Zeller's someone that in the right matchup, you can throw him in there for two six-minute stretches in the game, and he's going to be the right guy for your team, and it's going to work out. But they're playing him more minutes than they should be playing him, and they're using him in lineups that they don't want to use him in. But that's that's what happens if you have injuries, and that's why Horford coming back next week, it sounds like, is going to be the case, or at least what they're looking at is uh, hopefully – next week or the week after that because he seems to be moving. They said that he's moving a little bit closer now because um, I was, I'm sorry, I was mixing it up with Jay Crowder supposed to be uh, supposed to be back next week for that Warriors game, it looks like. But it, they, that'll be game get, one, they think. Is that what they're projecting? Is I missed that. So well, they think, okay. It, it's supposed to be a week from now. So if it's a week from Friday, or I think that came out on Thursday, so you're looking at the Warrior game, but – who knows? I mean, it's it's a sprained ankle earlier in the year. Obviously, they want to win that Warrior game, but they recognize that winning one game, no matter how important it is, isn't as important as making sure Crowder doesn't re aggravate his injury and miss more time. So yeah, we'll, and we'll lesson learned from last year, trying to drag through that where maybe just additional time and he could have been even better or more ready for the playoffs. Is there any question at this point? that Crowder is the one that ties the defense together and that he's the heart and soul of of the D. I mean, I know that they can throw a lot of different looks. They can move him from the three to the four. I know he's added a lot offensively. It seems like his three-point shot was really getting off a lot quicker and knocking him down. The thing that I loved last year right before the high ankle sprain was his ability to attack the basket was beginning to develop, and, and he was definitely taking it to the rim. And we saw that in the Chicago Bulls game. It was about as aggressive as we'd seen him since the high ankle sprain last year. And I got all excited, and literally within four or five plays, he kind of is leaning back funky and and, and, and you know rolls rolls the ankle. But 
Is there any doubt that he's the one that ties all the defense together at this point? Would you agree? Nope, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. He was probably neck and neck with Isaiah for their MVP last year. He still is. Uh, he's the guy that not only is it that he's the tone setter on defense, but he's the assi- he's the assignment guy. When they have the, the most crucial assignment, they'll put him on it, although Smart will get it a lot of the time. And that allows Bradley to kind of just have his like one-on-one chase. Uh, you know, Bradley is basically like Tom and Tom and, uh, Tom and Jerry pretty much every single game. Um, but with Crowder, Crowder is the guy that just kind of takes on whatever assignment really has to be done. And he's also he's he's less he allows Smart to be more the playmaker on defense because he's steady because he's able to navigate the space like he's able to navigate between the low post and the perimeter so well. Crowder is just so unbelievably crucial to their defense. And then on offense, he improved last year as a driver. This year, he looked even better from what we've seen. I mean, he, he, t- I, I know he I talked so. to me earlier. He talked to me earlier this year about how he worked on going from being able to like drive the lane to trying to be like composed and be able to make plays out of driving the lane. So this year, he's become better at passing. He can drive and kick. He can make reads to pass forward. Uh, and the big thing was, Last year, most of his drives are kind of like rim dives. It would be like as if he was playing as like a baseline cutter where he would get the ball in the wing and he would just try to attack a lane. As we, we probably remember seeing Jeff Green doing that all the time. But this year, he's become so much more composed with the ball. His, his ball handling, much like Avery's, has gotten to the point where he can now make stops, hesitations, redirections, crossovers, stuff like that while he's driving. So when he's driving right and he doesn't think he's going to be able to make the dive to the rim, he can stop and change direction and try to go through the middle and get a better look. I mean, he's no longer because he was like, I'd say he was like, like a bull just heading right to the rim with yeah. his head down. I remember. Yeah, he was like an intermediate stage driver, and this year he's, he's gotten more towards being an advanced stage driver, which, I mean, he was already like a near all-star, so that means this year he's a guy that's looking to crack that ceiling there. So they've got they've got four because the way that Avery's playing, the way Isaiah's playing, and then with Horford and Jay, I mean they've got they've got four guys that are going to make a run for the All Star team. I unless they're unless they have the best record in the conference, which doesn't look very probable. Uh, they're probably not going to be getting four All Stars, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them get two or maybe even three if Jay or Al can come back and just play out of their minds. Yeah, they just got to make a case in time. While the voting is going on, you know, Avery Bradley has been the leading rebounder in many games and he's definitely, as you mentioned, improved passing. You know what play I miss with Avery though? When Rondo was still here, there would be this backdoor cut. They'd catch people, they'd catch the defense sleeping all the time and then he would just have a nice like little reverse lay in off the backboard. I miss that play because really since Rondo left, we've never seen it again. Do you think that was just a special sort of thread the needle type pass that Rondo could do? Or do you think Stevens has just got a different kind of offensive plan for the team? Uh, I definitely think the it's both. It's Rondo made passes that no one on this team can make. Um, trying to think who, I mean, Turner could kind of make those last year, but he's not here anymore. Isaiah is a good passer, but he's not, he, he doesn't make those kind of passes. He's not, he's not really like a cross court uh, ball whipping kind of passer. And actually, Gerald Green seems to be a pretty solid passer. I'm actually working on that. Uh, was putting a the surprise. other on that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that was something. I've got a podcast, a Garden Report podcast coming out, um, and uh, one of the things that came out of the interview with Gerald was that 
the big change for him in his career has been that he's learned how to be more of a point forward. And we're seeing it now where he's good at driving into the mid-range area, looking like he's going to pull up for a shot. Then he's able to slip a pocket pass to a baseline cutter. That's something he's gotten a lot better at. And that's actually why when Zeller's out there with him, Zeller's good at making off-ball cuts. So when he and Zeller are out there together, they're actually able to make a few plays happen. But they'll get like three good plays out of like 25. So it generally isn't an advisable lineup against starters. But it's something that works. But going back to the Rondo thing, I would say that a little bit of it is that while they do get backdoor action – Avery, I think, one, has been more up over the horn on the ball uh, in the last year and a half. And they don't – so when Doc was here, they had more of kind of like the the first iteration of what small ball was back when the Heat really made it popular like five, six years ago, which was teams that were mostly four-out teams with one guy – with one big like running around setting picks – and they weren't really they weren't doing as much motion as they were kind of like box out team or like a four box teams where it was just like four guys positioned around the three point line and they would just kind of have their zones to keep the defense stretched. But now things have gotten more uh, have been kind of more further articulated based on what the Warriors and the Spurs have been doing, where there's a lot more motion and it's all about passing and constant cross matching to try to force teams to switch a point guard onto a big or like a, a three or something like that. So yeah, just exploring the miss match no doubt exactly so Avery isn't glued into the corner like he used to be so back when like back in Avery's second year when he took over for Ray Allen and had his emergence Avery Bradley was like the second best three-point shooter in the corner in the entire and he was NBA. the bailout guy you're right exactly. he was just yeah. hanging there so every once in a while they would just sleep and then he would get in behind the defense that makes perfect sense yeah and so that's when they were running like a box out uh, lineup where they would have like a I, my timeline's a little off here, so I'm trying to. I'm having trouble at the top of my head remembering the rosters. But like back when they would have Posey in there, which was a few years earlier earlier than that. But they would have a small lineup of KG at the five, and then they would have Posey out there. I think it was Jeff Green was out there, right? So um, those teams would have the shooters out there, and then KG's running around setting screens for people, and then they could get Pierce to set screens. And they, they don't they don't run that their offense in the same manner anymore. Because they're trying to just basically constantly be setting screens on the perimeter while having like a two man weak side action going on. And then you've got like a shooter curling from the corner up to the, to the elbow, stuff like that. Isaiah's driving and then he's got an option to kick left, go all the way or try to reset to the guy on the near side. That's what they're, that's what they're trying to do now. So they're not running a lot of kind of like isolated plays where there's a guy just kind of slowly sinking in from the back corner, then you're hitting him. Um, I do think if they had a bigger point guard that was more of a passer, they would do some of that stuff more often. And maybe that's something that Marcus Smart will be able to do this year or next year. But or with to your point, if they had a player like Paul Pierce who could they could run some ISO here and there because yeah. they really don't they really don't have that in their bag of tricks this year. I mean, J- Jalen's going to be doing that later this year, probably with like against like second and third unit guys, but we're just not going to see that with their primary eight man rotation. Um, no. But I mean, there's there's a few guys on this team that can do that kind of stuff. They just you know, Rondo's Rondo. Like you you forget, and then until you see him come into town, and then he throws like he had that pass in uh, in Chicago where he like he was on the break. And he whipped an overhand pass all the way across the court to like McDermott, I think it was cr- coming up to the three point line. And the ball, like he had, yeah, he had put a so much back, 
That was so amazing. Backspin on that ball. It was crazy. And, uh, <laughs> it was a pool shot. I mean, we used to always joke about that. Like watching him make passes was like watching, uh, you know, somebody play pool because of the way that that ball would move. I saw that. You're right. It was McDermott and he literally, he had to throw it just that way or it would have been picked off. He, he just threaded it the way he needed to. And all the players were coming down the floor. So there was also this element of anticipating where the players were going to be before he even, you know, put the spin on the ball. Yeah, he's brilliant. And they don't, they don't have anybody right now that has a brilliant foresight for passing. I mean, there's only like seven guys in the league that have that. I'd say Horford might be might be that guy on the team right now but they've got i think it looks like this team once they've gotten a few weeks to get themselves back together once they're healthy they have enough guy pretty much everybody now in the starting lineup is a good passer uh avery's become a better passer isaiah's always been a pretty good passer um crowder's improved as a passer so i think they'll be a good passing team individually and then all together we've seen that these guys are fantastic passing the ball when everyone's just making short passes are all on the same page they were they were in the first few games they were their assist uh the assist rate was off the charts i mean the opening night they had the most assists ever i think for an op- a team on an opening night so they they can they can do that and they can be fine yeah, they just need to get healthy again. and lock down yeah. the defense a little bit with some heart and some effort. And we've got about five minutes, but I got two things that I definitely want to talk to you about. One is you had such an awesome interview with Marcus Smart. I know you covered for Larry H. Russell during the preseason and talked a lot about some of the mechanical changes that he made to improve his three-point shooting. And John and I have been very excited for this season with Marcus Smart because it's the first that he'll have really been healthy in for the entire offseason in preparing and really during the preseason it was still pretty ugly he wasn't knocking them down he had to think eventually they're going to start going and one of the bright spots in a very miserable game against the Washington Wizards was the third quarter performance which included a number of just swish three-pointers from Marcus Smart and he's a gamer I've always said he's absolutely a closer he's just got the mentality and over and over he's shown that but in that game I think that's when it finally started to gel he got healthy from his injury which you know delayed the start to his season but now he's knocking him down I'm really confident in his three-point shooting all of a sudden all right so here's the deal so with Marcus, he's got his shot when he's not thinking and then a shot when he is thinking. Yes. And when he's not thinking, uh, his form looks great. Uh, and you can go back to that piece on Celtics blog. There's an interview on Celtics beat. And I think it was like the second week of October, I want to say, or maybe even the first week. And you know, it was actually, it was right before the preseason started or right when the preseason started. But so with Marcus, he did a lot of things to fix the kind of the major flaws in his shot and you know i was watching him at practice uh, the other day and his shot looked great because he wasn't thinking he was relaxed he didn't feel pressure of the defense and his shot looked fantastic and he was doing all the little mechanical changes that he that he implemented the biggest one which is he used to uh, dip the ball in his shot which is a uh, Kind of yeah, like really low. You yes. did some video with your breakdown on Celtics blog, and I didn't realize how much he'd cut it out because I think some people would say he's still a little low, 
but not like he was. I mean, there was so much wasted motion in that form. Yeah, and that's a it's a polarizing um it's a polarizing ball technique, which kind of goes to the point that shooters can shoot however they want. It's most it's really just about rhythm and and your and your follow through. So it doesn't really matter how ridiculous your shot looks, whether you shoot like Sean Marion or you shoot like Steph Curry. It's mostly about do you release? <laughs> Come on, or Bill Cartwright. Your... We got to give Bill Cartwright oh, a shout sure. because the elbows going wide is awesome. Or like Al Horford, who has like a really, really bizarre shooting motion, but it works for him because his rhythm is fine and because he sets his feet and his hips the right way. And with Marcus, his biggest problem was that when he would drop the ball, he would like he would drop the ball basically below his knees. And that would mean that he, he was jumping, even though I think his rhythm into when he started to jump was pretty fine. The ball was coming up so late from the peak of his jump that he was releasing the ball after he was already coming down and his body was fighting. His arms are fighting against his legs to generate power. And that's what made him so inconsistent. But we're seeing now he on his catch and shoots. uh, Mostly uh, he's basically getting the ball, dropping it to his right hip and then bringing it up and he's releasing on time. And it's looking a lot better. And you'll see it that the more comfortable he looks like the more effortless it looks when he's shooting the ball. That's because he's got his timing right. He's he's swinging his hips through the shot, which is called a sway, and he's doing that well. And he's flinging his wrist with enough oomph, but not with too much arm force, that the ball comes out all in line and everything is in sync. And that's when he shoots really well. And we saw that where, like, in the middle of the third quarter in the Washington game, he had a catch and shoot where he did all that just in rhythm. And he hit what looked like a super effortless shot from like 28 feet. He was like yes. a good two or three steps behind the three-point line. And he nailed the shot. He completely switched it. And that's that's how he's supposed to shoot. But he felt comfortable there. But you see a lot of the time he doesn't feel comfortable. He looks rushed. And that's when things go wrong. And you'll notice he's either going to shoot the ball short right or he's going to shoot the ball far uh, far left. And that's pretty much how he's always done it because of the rhythm issues. And until – I mean it, it's just – I don't know. The, the the mechanics are fine now. It's just for him, his rhythm gets thrown off pretty easily. And I don't. I think I think he needs to work on the way he anchors his, his first foot into the shot. If you look at Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder, they've become phenomenal. That when they're coming off of cuts, they they anchor their back foot before they catch the ball, and that means they're able to slide their other foot in their center of gravity right under or right over that first foot anchor. And that makes it really easy for them. I think Smart hasn't really developed that yet. And that's kind of the next step for him. But overall, I think as we see him get more shots up throughout the the next two months, I think he's gonna his percentage is gonna go way up. And so I'm gonna have to do a follow up podcast uh, in like a probably like three to six weeks somewhere in that range, and we'll check in and see how the shot really is looking. All right, last one with Kelly Olynyk. He got some run. He's finally back. He's healthy. Got through the shoulder surgery. There was a nice article on Celtics blog. It said Celtics blog staff. I don't know if that was you or not, Jared, but it was really succinct in looking at all the different things that Kelly Olenek brings to the table and uh, not just rebounding, but just positionally and the smart plays, the heads up. Like He may not be the world's most phenomenal athlete, but intellectually he plays the game the right way. Put all that aside, I just want to see him knock down some three-pointers and it seemed like it was still pretty, he was pretty much in a groove. My thought is 
the reason he front rimmed all those shots the other night was simply getting his legs under him. Once he's once he's gotten some some game time, some minutes under his belt, I think he's going to fall right back into it. Would you agree? It's just simply cold legs, and and he needs to get warmed up and and find the strength to basically what you're saying, set that base before he goes into the shot, and then he'll get the distance that he needs, and he'll start draining him. Okay, so I'll I'll do defense and offense, and I'll explain the Celtics block thing. So for defense, I I think the I want to toot my own horn on this one. Just a rare time I'm going to do this, but I feel like I was maybe the first person to ever acknowledge that Kelly Olynyk is actually a pretty decent defender. Um, he he last year became actually I think their most reliable low post defender off the ball. He he got a lot better at learning. So basically one thing that Kelly does well is reading in early positioning because on defense, early position is, is like 95% of it. It's you can, anybody could be a good defender if they're able to get their feet in position early enough so that all they need to do is go straight up because with the verticality rule, it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter how much contact there is. If you get somewhere and you jump straight up, it's not a foul. And you can, as long as you're not hitting them, you can you can give them as much contact with the body without fouling as you want without actually, as long as you're going straight up. So Olenek has gotten really good at flying into position on a drive and being able to just use his long arms. Actually, I don't think his arms are long. I think his wingspan's kind of short for a seven-footer, right? T-Rex, but, T-Rex. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's, not, he's not too T-Rex, but I'm looking <laughs> at him right now in the film next to Martian Gortat. <laughs> And you can see there's a pretty clear difference, but it doesn't matter. He's like he's you know he's like six eleven seven feet. So when he goes straight up, he he's really effective as a shot disruptor. And I think he's always I think he's been over the last year uh, the best on the team at that. Although Amir Johnson is pretty is, is pretty good at it too, but I think it's even a little more effective for Kelly. But Kelly's a smart defender, and it and then going towards offense, but kind of a little bit on p- pick and roll de- defense too. He's still a little slow afoot. Like when he was coming into the league, I thought he was going to continue to get more nimble and be more agile and have more acceleration. But I, I'm not really seeing that. I think he is still pretty nimble for a seven footer. But he hasn't he hasn't got like there's a bunch of other like guys that are of that size where. They went from being just like kind of loose to like being able to really move, and I haven't seen it out of him. And I guess it's not going to happen. Um, although he's he has dealt with a series of lower body injuries, but I don't think it's going to happen. But then going towards offense, we saw in the was it the second quarter I think of that Wizards game, I, I saw he was doing a lot of stuff on offense. Like they were getting the ball in his hands, he was really active, and I don't think he got called for it once, but he traveled like seven times. Like every time. He got the ball. He was traveling every time. The first time, like, he had this one driver. I think he got fouled, so they didn't call it. But he was driving from, like, the top of the key, and he picked the ball up at the free throw line. Then he took, like, three steps and then tried to throw up a shot from, like, the restricted circle. And and they got fouled, so they didn't call it. But he did that. And the next play, he tried to post up. He did, did, like, a face-up, post-up move. He traveled on the pivot. Then he then he spread his feet without dribbling the ball, which was a travel. And then he made another move, which was a travel. And I think he drew a foul on that play also. Um, so you know his 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 coordination is really off right now, because it's because he just got back in there. But I think he's moving smarter, and he seems to have a more confident and quicker read on the play, which has been a real issue with, for him. Which is why his post game that was looking so good in the summer league the last few years has never translated to the NBA. Was that 
he just didn't have confidence in his reads and he was so he didn't early post he didn't get the ball and immediately go into a move he would just kind of wait and react and that's never a good idea unless you're someone like al jefferson or lamarcus aldridge or zach randolph because you have unbelievable post skills i mean if you're posting up it's like any play same thing with jay crowder last year on his drives he would always wait and then he would drive the best thing that you can do as an offensive player is immediately react when you get the ball or even react before you get the ball. We're seeing that where guys are learning how to shoot better now, especially on the move from deep because they're already setting their feet while the ball's still in the air and that allows them to shoot with power from three more easily. Uh, but we, I feel like post players have kind of lost that skill because guys aren't really smart. Po- There's not a lot of great post players out there anymore, but Kelly is gotten is starting to get to the point where when he's catching the ball, he's doing a reverse pivot to clear space immediately, and then he's going up with the play stuff that last year he was kind of waiting to feel the guy out before he actually made the move. He's just going right into it now, and that's as much confidence as just kind of understanding the technique well, and the strategy behind being a post player. And he probably had an enormous amount of time to watch film in the off season since that was really the essential component of all he that's all he could do to develop over the offseason so he probably did an enormous amount of study to get himself ready and that would make sense that his ability to read and react and anticipate would improve just from watching film i mean it, yeah everybody takes a break but when you've had sh- surgery and i've had you know shoulder surgery before it's not fun i mean it's it's hard to do regular activities of daily living like put on a shirt and take a shower is no fun so you do wind up spending i know it doesn't sound like you would stay laid up with a shoulder injury but you do you kind of stay laid up a little bit because your shoulder's involved in everything but jared that's going to do it for this week i want to thank you for coming on uh the garden report is kicking it this year it's been fun. It's been fun. Actually, before I even plug that, just quickly, you're talking about the Celtics blog post, something that they're doing on Celtics blog every or every night and then publishing in the morning after games is what's called the read and react, which is just everybody gets a chance to write like a quick little blurb, just like a couple paragraphs and pretty much on anything. It's just a good way to get content going and being able to it's allowed me to write some things that I don't think I could do a full story on like for instance I wrote about how with Brooke Lopez and Amir Johnson were hitting threes how that's proof that the Illuminati is real so you know stuff that you could have a little bit of fun but it's something that you couldn't flesh out a whole post for so those those are coming every every single morning at like 8 a.m. I think after every single game yeah I've enjoyed those a lot all right everybody Jared Weiss from Celtics blog and right here on CLNS radio with the garden report. Always awesome, Jared and in-depth analysis. That's going to do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS radio mobile app, as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin, my co-host at CSL underscore Duke. Thank you for tuning in. And a reminder, you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic stuff live on iTunes and Stitcher. Make sure you give us a rating and review because your feedback is extremely important to us. And a reminder, today's show has been brought to you by Audible.com and Movement Watches. They have a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting Celtic Stuff Live and the entire CLNS radio network. Thanks for listening. The loyal audience makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, and the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.